I'm Kelsey. I'm Cassie. And I'm Nolan from SCP Weekly. We bring you news from on-site and off-site. And we share your love for the creative community that surrounds the SCP Wiki. Join us on Tuesdays for new episodes, wherever you listen to podcasts, or on YouTube at SCP Weekly. Welcome to the library, Wanderer. Our rules are three. Respect your fellow patrons. Do not damage the library. Return your books on time. You'll need a card to check out, of course. See the front desk for that. It should be just under a week's journey from here. You'll have to give the archivist your true name, but don't worry. We'll keep it under the strictest levels of security. Oh, and stay away from locked doors. There are places here where even we will not protect you. We would like to extend a special thanks to our associate producers, Dr. Theron Sherman, Sogapul, Adrian, Ethan Childers, Uncertainty Crossing, Angie Oriana, Cameron Schaus, Lisa Person, and Salem. What you are hearing is the result of their generous support. Now please, sit back and enjoy The Journal of Aphromos Long Journey. Marde. 21st cycle, 7th year, 81st turn, 59th day in the trees. We are making good distance. Torn seems determined to prove that he is not unfit due to his broken arm. Sometimes I almost admire him, strange as it is. He does not like to show any weakness. He reminds me of my cousin, who once tried to carry as large a burden as my first father not realizing that it took many years of hard work to build such strength. Torn is showing concern for me, in fact. He is convinced I am ailing under a malady. Well, so am I, of course, but I did not wish him to know it, especially not once he had broken his arm. He has quite enough to worry about with that, surely. But he has noticed my shortness of temper, as well as pointing out my fading stripes. They are fading. They are barely even blue anymore, just a slightly paler green. I told him it was perfectly normal, just a phase. I suppose he is not the only one who wishes to conceal weaknesses. It does make me feel sad, though. I was very proud of my stripes. There were several females in our tribe who admired them. I was considered a very handsome male. Had things turned out differently, I would have had little trouble finding a wife. If I had completed a task well, I could have been a first husband. Well, it is no matter. I'm not likely to reach the barrow again, and there are no females here to admire my stripes. My vanity is nothing to worry over. Suja is still with us, but she is becoming more independent. She rarely rides on my shoulder or in my pack anymore. Indeed, she is almost too large to fit in my pack or on my shoulders. 
She sleeps apart from me most of the night. She is friendly enough, but she often seems distracted. I doubt she will be with us much longer. Still, she is strong. She will survive. No, she will thrive. I'm sure of it. I do not know why I'm so certain, but I do not doubt she'll do well, even without us. Sky Day, 21st Cycle, 7th Year, 81st Turn 60th Day in the Trees I realised today what is wrong with me. I think I suspected before, but I did not wish to admit it to myself. I still don't know how I feel about it. There is some relief, of course. I am not dying of anything. It is almost certain that I will regain my balance. But still, I am not sure I am ready to become a female at my time of life. I knew that it was possible, of course. It has never happened in my life, but my father knew a female who had been male. I'm only familiar with the opposite change. Females become male often enough, especially when they are young. My brother was female before I was born. But very rarely does a male become female, at least among the Barrow. It is more common among the Desna, I seem to recall. I was right about eating too much. Almost always when this happens, it is because it is a time of plenty. I have been eating well. There were no females around me. Naturally, I began to change. Barrow and Desda are obviously sequential hermaphrodites, exhibiting both protandry and protogeny. When food is scarce, females change to males. When food is plentiful, males change to females. These changes typically occur during childhood, combined with gender selection during conception. This explains why there are more males than females among the Barrow while the opposite is true among the Desda. I have grown larger. I will probably grow a bit more until I am the proper size for a female. My stripes will be gone. Inside, inside, I feel the other changes. Already I begin to notice differences in relieving myself, though I had taken those for signs that I had some internal ailment. I suppose it doesn't really change anything. I must continue forward and hope my quest is successful. If I ever do go back, the healers have ways to trigger a change if I desire it. I do not believe I will tell Torn about this. He is not of the Barrow. He will not understand. Let him think I am still male. Beer Day, 21st Cycle, 7th Year, 81st Turn 62nd day in the trees. I am feeling better today. My temper is improving. I feel saddened that Suja will soon be leaving, but it is nothing I cannot survive. I still have some growth, and my insides feel unsettled yet, but I have balance again. It is not the same balance I once had, but it is still balance. I still feel very protective of Torn and Suja. I do not think that will pass. Torn is as old as I am, but he looks so young. I wish I had been closer to my young sister. We love each other, but we are very different people.
not so different now, perhaps. If I had been closer to her, I might have learned from her some of the things that I might expect. I know the instincts of a male, but what instincts will affect me as a female? Well, that simply means it is more important that I maintain my balance. The desert taught us balance. The concept of balance is very important in Barrow culture. Balance involves moderation, self-discipline and consistency in thought and action. This forest, though, knows no balance that I can find. What can be said of a place where one can find winter two leagues away from summer? The inhabitants show no more balance than anything else, judging by the things they leave. Today, it was a door we found. It was in the middle of the path. There was no building around it, just a doorframe. The door was hanging open awkwardly by a single hinge. The other hinges had been ripped out. Both door and frame were painted a bright red that made them even more conspicuous. There were two sets of tracks. One was a two-legged creature, possibly a human from the size and shape of the tracks. Its tracks led to the door and ended there. The other set reached the door, stopped, and then moved onward, past the door. They continued for a short ways, and then trailed off the path. They were made by a four-legged creature, possibly a cat, though one much, much larger than Suja. Clearly, identification of the four-legged creature is impossible. The door, however, is most likely a broken portal, of the kind used by the Libers, dimension-spanning merchants who created doors that lead to their shops. They've often tried setting up entryways into the Ravelwoods, but have met with limited success, largely due to the influence of the trading company. We left it there, not caring to examine it too closely. Torn, I think, learned some caution in the tower. I am glad for that, mostly. It was a part of who he was, and it is sad to see a bit of that die. But it will help the rest of him to live longer. Skull Day, 21st cycle, 7th year, 81st turn. 63rd day in the trees. We encountered a strange man while we took our dinner today. He seems mostly human, except for a pair of tree branch horns coming from his forehead a bit like the graceful, horse-like creatures I have seen before. There is something wild about him, and a bit dangerous. His skin is darker than Torn's. His hair is dark, and just a little bit curly. He wears furs. He said that he would not touch anything that came from a sheep. He carries a long spear. He said to call him Benadam. His mouth curled up sardonically when he said this, as though laughing at a private joke. It is strange. He is a hunter, clearly, and was carrying a brace of rabbits over one shoulder when he walked up to our camp. He said that he had been hunting for as long as he can remember, but when he saw the vegetables we had gathered this morning, he fell on them as though he were a starving man. I asked him if he travelled alone, he said that he had been alone for a very long time. He tells us that he is not afraid of anyone or anything. Animals, he tells me, do not dare to harm him.
Is this magic, perhaps? Suja seems to like him, though she does not play with him as she does with Torn or with me. Torn looks uneasy. He knows something about this stranger, I think. I will ask him after Benadam goes to sleep. Erev Day, 21st Cycle, 7th Year, 81st Turn, 64th Day in the Trees. Torn told me a strange story last night. He told of a wandering huntsman with the horns of a stag on his head. The huntsman sometimes leads great hunts through the forests. The story is told far and wide, and the name and character of the huntsman changes from place to place. Sometimes the huntsman is a god. Sometimes he is a vengeful ghost. Whatever his nature, he is a dangerous man to come across. He either inveigles people into his hunt, or else they become his prey. Torn is worried Benadam is this hunter, and believes that we are in danger. The best account of the wild hunt is by Transitive Norton, who spent several years in the hunt. I agree that it might be dangerous, but it might be more dangerous to try to run. If he is as great a huntsman as Torn believes, then he will track us. Better that we know where he is. At least Benadam is proving useful enough for the moment. He provided us with a wild pig for our dinner. We spent most of our time looking for vegetables and fruits for him. He accepted these gladly. I wonder why he became a hunter when he clearly prefers the fruits of the earth to the beasts of the woods. He talked a great deal about various animals in the forest. He is a formidable hunter, if his stories are to be believed. He has hunted dragons, griffins, elephants and stranger creatures. He tells of a creature with a hard shell and terrible pincers. It had threatened a small village, and so he had hunted it down. He did not tell of the kill, but he told us much of how he had hunted it, tracking it to its lair. He talked about how he watched its habits to know the best time to strike. He told us of the valley he used for his battle, but very little on the battle itself. And then I killed it, he said. Nothing more. It is like that in all of the hunts he recounts. The chase, the tracking, but nothing on the kill. Torn did not press him, nor did I. Neither of us wanted to bring the subject to killing. Crow Day, 21st cycle, 7th year, 81st turn, 66th day in the trees. We travel alone once again. Our erstwhile companion left us this afternoon. Torn and I had finally taken the courage to ask him if he was the hunter Torn had heard of. He smiled at us. He told us that he was not. He said that our confusion was not unexpected, however. He is the father of that hunter. And then he told us his story. Once, he and his family were under the watch of a god. The god was a jealous god and wanted them to prove their love for it. One part in ten of their food went to the god. In that time, Benadam was a farmer and he gave grains to the god. His brother was a shepherd and gave mutton to the god. The god decided it liked the blood of the lamb 
and was pleased with Benadam's brother. But God was not pleased with Benadam. This caused strife between the brothers. Benadam's brother was vain and began to mock him for his failure. Finally, Benadam attacked his brother in anger. They had never fought before. Benadam, the stronger, won the fight. He had won too well. His brother was dead. Benadam said that his family had never seen death before. It had been an accident, but the god did not believe him. He was exiled. He was also marked. The horns on his head are the marks of that god's anger. All animals know the mark, and all of his family knew it as well. It marked that any who harmed him would be harmed in turn, and several times greater. The god did not want the family to kill him. Not for kindness, but because the god wished to see Benadam's wandering. Presumably, Benadam and the leader of the Wild Hunt, known variously as Hearn, Heron, Herion, and Harrel, is of a species related to but distinct from humanity. This would account for the antlers as well as the extended lifespan. Given the improbability of antlers evolving spontaneously, I suspect that they are a magically created species, perhaps made by the god Benadam mentions. Wizards have been known to act thus in the past. Honestly, give a man a bit of power and it goes straight to his pointy hat. Benadam wandered for a long time and finally found a wife among another people. He had many children, but he did not grow old, nor did he die. Neither old age nor death wished to risk his curse. He has wandered since. The earth will not give up any sustenance to him, and so he can never farm again. He can only hunt, and so he became the first huntsman. The leader of the wild hunt, as it is called, is his son by a goddess. He has seen his son at times, and sometimes joins in the hunt. But what he truly hunts, he told us, is his own death. I pray that he will succeed one day. A Wanderer's Guide to First Aid in the Library Atriums From the Office of the Wanderer's Library Chief Medical Officer, Dr. Noreen Ray Can't you smell that fresh air? That perfect, gentle breeze makes you want to run outside, find a shady spot and enjoy a nice book, doesn't it? Well, the Wanderer's Library may not have any outdoor spots per se, but there are plenty of atriums and open-air spaces you may visit. But just because there's plenty of airspace doesn't mean the skies will always be clear of danger. As always, this guide is your key to avoiding any ailments during your stay here.
wing rot. Our pages are very hard-working, and seeing them leap across the shelves is a sight to behold. But sometimes the library takes it upon itself to move things around. A bit of reorganising can do wonders after all. Perhaps you've been one of the lucky wanderers who have seen the books floating through the air, going from shelf to shelf. A keen-eyed patron may notice that the books aren't truly floating, but are instead moving along a transparent chute of magical energy. Wing rot is a common consequence of organic material travelling through these high-energy chutes. Bones, feathers and skin rapidly deteriorate, each quickly becoming flaky and brittle. Not only can this prevent flight and lead to broken, useless bodies, but prolonged exposure can lead to disintegration. A dusty bookshelf can be acceptable, but not if you're becoming the dust yourself. There are both naturally occurring instances and artificial shoots found throughout the library, so do be careful as they tend to pop up when you least expect them. We offer physical therapy for any affected patrons, but keep an eye on the sky. Avoiding these shoots in the first place is your best course of action. Eagle Eye Syndrome Maintaining healthy eyesight can be vital for continuing to enjoy your reading time for those wanderers that have eyes. That's why contracting eagle eye can be such a bother. Marked by a sudden change in pupil and in rare cases eye shape, eagle eye syndrome is a spontaneous genetic mutation that alters the visual capabilities of the afflicted. Some of the most common results of catching eagle eye include telescopic vision up to 15 times the typical species limitations, gaining 360-degree vision, which often results in severe vertigo, or blindness as a result of the optical nerves being unable to process new input from the altered eyes. Thankfully, eagle eye syndrome doesn't become permanent until 10 days after first exposure, and resting and covering the eyes for three continuous days will revert any changes. So ready that blindfold and find a book body to help you around and you'll be back to normal in no time. Some cultures are known to have rituals to purposely induce eagle eye syndrome, allowing for controlled and unique outcomes. Popular among warriors and assassins alike, these rituals have been known to produce results not commonly found in nature, such as thermal and x-ray vision. Ask your nearest librarian for more reading materials if you're interested in learning more about these rituals. Tumble gut. Have you ever had that tingling, weightless feeling in your belly as you move through the air? If that sensation lasts more than four hours, you should seek out a healthcare provider because you may have come down with a case of tumble gut. A condition that only afflicts naturally flightless species using unnatural means of flight, magical spells or items, tumble gut is a condition where one or more organs rotate and or vibrate. Not only is this quite uncomfortable, but this can lead to blood flow complications, muscle spasms, neural degradation, and ultimately, death. Tumble gut severity is entirely dependent on the physiology of the individual. Those patrons who can freely discard their affected organs are encouraged to do so, with disposal bins being provided free of charge. 
Vibration belts are used to cancel out the vibrations of the organs and return said organs to their rightful place until such a time the body overcomes this condition. These belts are widely available for rent and purchase through many vendors within the library. Just make sure to keep your belt charged, or you'll be right back where you started. Air Hazards The library is a place of wonders and magic untold. But all these fantastical elements make it easy to forget the more mundane threats to one's health the library has in store. In order to keep the room comfortable for everyone, numerous open-air spaces and atriums filter and clean the air through the use of a series of giant vents and fans. These vents, however, have been known to do a little more than just cycle the air. Unfortunate patrons who stray too close have been known to be sucked in. It goes without saying we don't want to see anyone get hurt, but think of the poor pages who have to clean up the mess you'd leave behind. And of course, wanderers should be mindful of their airspace, regardless if they're on the ground or in the air. Mid-flight collisions can result in serious falls. Likewise, dropping something from extreme elevations can be devastating for fellow wanderers on the ground. Perhaps a stern breeze blowing through the swaying tower shelves could knock some books down, causing an avalanche of books, pummeling any wanderers who stand below. Simply being mindful of what's around or above you could save your life. I feel the need to personally emphasise the importance of this last point in light of recent events. Since the Ambrose restaurant was established in the rafters, we've had a concerning number of reports of patrons being struck by plummeting food waste and tableware. Watching someone get splattered with a discarded portion of fire chili may be humorous to the unknowing onlooker, but split craniums and concussions are no laughing matter. While library staff have reprimanded the Ambrose management for improperly disposing of their waste, I implore any patrons to be careful in the meantime. With all this in mind, you'll be soaring to new educational heights in no time. We hope the information in this guide will help keep you safe the next time you swoop by the library. Don't forget to keep an eye out for our other guides on your visit. Happy reading! This pamphlet is for general instruction only. The Wanderers Library takes no official responsibility for any disease, natural illness or injuries a patron may experience during their stay here. The Wanderers Library does not encourage nor dissuade non-flying patrons from climbing any bookshelf to retrieve the book they want, regardless of that shelf's height. There is no magic to cushion falls from the tops of the shelves to the ground. Please exercise common sense and refrain from jumping off the shelves. Visit these areas at your own risk. Please consult your healthcare provider if you have any questions about the contents of this guide or schedule an appointment with one of our physicians today. Thank you for listening. The Journal of Aframos Long Journey is written by Dr. Everett Mann. You can browse Dr. Mann's articles and the other works of the library at wanderers-library.wikidot.com. This production is possible in large part because of our sponsors. John Beatty, Yesenia, Crowcat, Rounderhouse, Land2D, 
and John Winfield. Check the description to find out how to support this channel and future projects like this. This production and content relating to the Wanderers Library is licensed under Creative Commons Sharealike 3.0 and all concepts originate from the Wanderers Library wiki and its authors. This recording, being derived from this content, is hereby also released under Creative Commons Sharealike 3.0. I'm Grigori Carpin from Simply Creative People, the podcast where we discuss GOIs, canons, and stories from the SCP Wiki, and we try to recommend things for all fans of the Wiki, new and old. Look for us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts. Visit the show page at anchor.fm slash simply-creative-people, or follow us on Twitter at S-I-M-C-R-E-A-T. Hey there, this is DJ Skip, host of Foundation After Midnight Radio, coming to you from the only third shift broadcast for personnel, by personnel. Be sure to tune in wherever you listen to podcasts to not miss out on containment news and community announcements from within the Foundation.